Coming up today, Walker Wildman gives us a preview of the Iowa caucuses and what makes it important in the race for the White House. Iowa is not a, a linchpin for the leader, but it is a linchpin for your number two or number three. Then Dan Steiner shows how an ultrasound can have a life-changing impact on a mother's life. And she had her head in her hands crying, saying, I don't believe I was going to kill my baby. I just heard this heartbeat sound from the other room. I can't do it. We'll also hear from author and speaker Camille Cates as she explains the emotional fallout of an abortion and how believers can help. But I would say two primary emotions that almost every woman um, experiences in men. Men are also impacted by abortion, but uh, I would say guilt and grief. It's the weekend of January 13th and 14th. I'm Jeff Shambly, and this is The Stand Radio. Well, as we've turned the calendar page to January and a new year is underway, the presidential election cycle is gaining steam, and Iowa is kicking things off with the Republican caucus next week. Here to talk about that with us today is Vice President of AFA and host of At the Core on AFR is Walker Wildman. Hi, Walker. Hey, Jeff. Glad to be back on the program with you. Tell us about the Iowa caucuses. What is a caucus and the difference between that and a primary? Yeah, so Iowa has been known for a long, long time to be the leader in the primary, in the presidential primary election. So that's what Iowa has been known for. They've been holding caucuses since the 1800s. That's how long it goes back. And the essence of a caucus, what makes it different than just going to the ballot box, is they actually gather uh, as a community – And they basically talk about their candidates Hmm. and they have this discussion, if you will, or some might call it a debate. (laughs) And they explain why their candidate is better than the others and they caucus for each candidate, right? So you kind of have groups of supporters for each candidate there at at the schoolhouse, at the church, or wherever your traditional voting place would be. And so at the end of the day, there's a winner. And so throughout the day, they take votes, and it's process of elimination. And throughout the day, there's less and less candidates on the caucus ballot. And at the end of the day, each party, Republicans and Democrats, end up with one person, whoever the last man standing is, of course, with the most votes for the day. Well, according to the poll as of this date of recording in Iowa, Donald Trump is at 32 percent, Ron DeSantis 18 percent, Governor Nikki Haley at 16 percent. Can any of these two under Donald Trump unseat him as the leader, do you think? Yeah, Iowa will not determine that. If we look back to 2016, uh, Ted Cruz won the Iowa caucus. He had the best ground game, uh, and those in the political arena know what I'm talking about there. But uh, Ted Cruz won the Iowa caucus. Donald Trump lost the Iowa caucus, although albeit not by very much. Uh, but Iowa's not a determinant for the leader. Iowa is a determinant for the number two and number three, though. Okay. For example, right. if Ron DeSantis doesn't come out on top in Iowa, it pretty much seals the deal for his campaign and everyone else in Iowa. Now, some may say that's overstating it, but the reality is, is if Donald Trump somehow pulls off Iowa he's pretty much set to be the nominee because of the momentum gain going into New Hampshire, Nevada, and some other states. Uh, So Iowa is not 
a a linchpin for the leader, okay. but it is a linchpin for your number two or number three. That makes sense. Uh, in terms of the messaging and key issues that would be important to our audience, uh, obviously the definition of marriage being between a man and a woman, uh, the pro-life issue, and even I would say immigration, what kind of messaging is going to be tested in Iowa that would be important to our listeners? Yeah, Iowa's voting block, uh, especially for Republicans, is largely evangelical Christians, which is uh, primarily the AFR audience that's listening here to the program. Um, so the issue of, of human life beginning at conception, the issue of, of, of human sexuality, one man, one woman marriage, uh, the whole transgender issue, all of these are issues, uh, hot button issues that voters in Iowa care about and voters around the rest of the country for that matter. And that's what they're going to be paying attention to. I think another issue, which is uh, one of our core values, and that's stewardship, not mm-hmm. just stewardship of time and resources, but also financial stewardship okay. uh, is one of our core values here at AFA. And uh, uh, which ties into economics. That's going to be a, a heavy issue, really a leading issue, that and national security heading into the 2024 primary and general election. Well, it's going to be an exciting year, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, exciting and uh, newsworthy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we've got we've to focus on our country and we've got to do our part. Yeah. Uh, and this is why we're talking about it today. We've got to vote. We've got to be engaged and we can't be sitting on the sidelines. Walker, thanks so much for stopping by today. Absolutely. What if you could help change the mind of a woman in a crisis pregnancy who's considering abortion? Well, most of us would jump at the opportunity of saving a baby's life and caring for that mother. You could have more influence than you think, however. Dan Steiner is here to tell us more about that. He's given the past 30 years of his life to saving babies from the tragedy of abortion. Dan is the president and founder of Preborn, a national Christ-centered ministry providing ultrasounds and evangelism to women in unplanned pregnancies. Dan, welcome to the program. Joy to be here. Thanks, Jeff. Dan, since January is Sanctity of Human Life Month, uh, awareness of the tragedy of abortion is on the minds of many of our listeners, but they might not be familiar with the ministry of preborn. Uh, could you give us an idea of the kind of work that you do? Yeah, so preborn is uh, the answer, God's answer, Jesus' answer to Planned Parenthood and the abortion industrial complex that uh, kills about 900,000, nearly a million children every year in America. We are hour by hour, day by day, reaching women that are searching for abortions uh, on the Internet, helping them to find our call center, helping them to find our network care provider clinics across the country in the highest abortion areas, and helping them uh, meet their babies on ultrasound. And then we come beside them when they've chosen life with real practical help, maternity clothes, cribs, car seats, baby food, doctor visits, housing, whatever they need so they can choose life. Um, so it's practical, compassionate help is what it is. Could you describe the uh, the typical reaction that happens when a woman sees and hears her baby's heartbeat on ultrasound? I've got the greatest story on that, Jeff. There was a, two women in our clinic. One of them was in the ultrasound room, and she was having an ultrasound scan of her baby. The other woman was in the next ultrasound room, and there was a wall between it. She was deciding whether she was going to keep her baby or not, um, the woman that was getting the ultrasound, the, the sonographer nurse, turned the volume up on the sound. And when the counselor came in the other room where the woman was deciding whether to keep her baby and was not having the ultrasound, 
she heard the heartbeat of the woman that was hearing the ultrasound, and she had her hand, head in her hands crying, saying, I don't believe I was going to kill my baby. I just heard this heartbeat sound from the other room. I can't do it. The, the power of ultrasound, the power of hearing a baby's heartbeat, the power of them realizing that this is their baby in their womb yeah. just cannot be overstated. It is a game changer. Dan, it seems like there's such a powerful connection to a mother in particular of hearing that baby. Is that what you found uh, as, you've, as you've heard these stories? Yeah, it really is. In fact, I've had an OBGYN tell me that there's an anatomical reaction that a mother has when she sees her baby and hears her baby's heartbeat. Her endocrine system has a physical reaction mm. to that. Um, and we know that it's a game changer. It what, most of the time doubles the likelihood that a woman will choose life. Yeah, that's fantastic. Just, uh, secret weapon, really. It's the Guttmacher Institute uh, has been tracking abortion numbers monthly and reports that abortions in states where there are high restrictions has spiked dramatically, which indicates that that women are crossing state lines to have an abortion. Is preborn operating in those areas as well? This is our target area. We want to be. So we've got two target areas. First. There's two problems now since the fall of Roe v. Wade. Problem number one is abortion trafficking. Women in abortion-restricted states going to abortion sanctuary states to get their abortions, finding them on the Internet, going to an abortion clinic in a California, New York, Illinois, you know, other abortion sanctuary states. Yeah. Uh, the second is the abortion pill. And so we are there. Uh, for instance, California is projected has uh, 10,000 more women just in Los Angeles coming in on an annual basis from other states. I was in um, Nevada. I was in Las Vegas here recently, and a woman came in that was, while I was in our clinic, that was being, was paid half of her trip by her clinic in Iowa uh, so she could get her abortion, because she couldn't get it in Iowa. Yeah. But we're there. Um, we're opening clinics. We just opened one in Brooklyn, New York. Got another one that we opened in Jamaica, Queens, New York. Both of those boroughs of New York City have more uh, abortions than they do live births. And so we are, you know, on the on the front line, tip of the spear on all of these high abortion areas and, and helping women in abortion-restricted states not to get abortions by trafficking. Not only are you fighting for the life of the unborn child, but you're also fighting for the soul of the mother as well. How does the ministry of preborn create opportunities for the gospel? Well, the biggest need that a woman has is to be able to make a better decision in her life, not having multiple sexual partners and not being put in the situation where people are forcing her to kill her child. Because most of the time a woman doesn't want to have an abortion. She's being pressured to do it. And so she needs a, di- a different decision-making matrix born out of a different heart and understanding which only jesus can give her and so um when somebody sponsors an ultrasound which we're asking the listeners of afr to do they're not only sponsoring an ultrasound for a girl that gets that ultrasound that medical procedure for free but they're also sponsoring in most cases a gospel session with that girl we we are passionate intentional deliberate evangelists to abortion-minded women we're the god's preborn is the gospel champion of the pro-life movement had over 8,000 women in the last year in 2023 come to a knowledge of Christ. We teach evangelism all across the country to pregnancy clinics and churches. So to us, it's our leading priority, frankly. 
If you'd like to find out more about the ministry of Dan Steiner and Preborn, go to the website preborn.com. That's preborn.com. And we want to mention that AFR and Preborn are partnering together in a campaign this coming week, beginning Sunday, January the 14th. So if you'd like to be a part of this, helping to save babies' lives and minister to their mothers, visit AFR.net beginning Sunday, January the 14th, and you'll be able to donate. Dan, thanks for spearheading the work of Preborn and uh, giving us the opportunity to partner with you. Our pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. Abortion is a tragedy on many levels, not the least of which is the loss of a child, but also the adult lives that are torn and scarred as a result. Our next guest has spent nearly three decades counseling women and helping them through the pain of abortion and into a life of peace and restoration. Camille Cates is the author of the book, Moving Forward After Abortion. Camille, thanks for being with us today. Jeff, thank you so much for inviting me. It's good to be with you. Would you mind sharing a little of your own story and why you have such compassion for women who've had an abortion? Sure. So I grew up in a church. Um, my parents were heavily involved in uh, serving in our church, and so um, the gospel and Jesus uh, were not unfamiliar to me. Uh, in fact, I came to know the Lord at age 12 at a youth camp. But, you know, afterwards, I entered the high school teen years and um, really didn't have a whole lot of biblical uh, grounding or discipleship when it comes to relationships. I think a lot of church kids, I grew up in the in the late 80s, early 90s in, in high school, and I think a lot of um, people my age can relate to um, just kind of hearing that the Bible says don't have sex until you're married, mm-hmm. uh, because if you do, it's a sin, but not really why um, behind that. So I became sexually active in high school and became pregnant very quickly. And my parents found out about it and actually asked me, my mom did, if I wanted to have an abortion. And I was a little shocked um, at her ask. And I remember just telling her, no, you know, mom, I, this is my baby. I want to keep my baby. And so they were very supportive and loving. And so was my church. And I'm grateful for that. So um, I actually graduated high school, had my daughter the summer after I graduated, and um, just was trying to figure out life again. And I, I kind of felt like a little bit of a statistic. The father of the baby was long gone, didn't want anything to do with um, me or our daughter. So it was really just the two of us and um, my family. So uh, it wasn't long, though, before I began to seek out another relationship. But, you know, I think I had a hunger for God's design for the family, which is good, but I still didn't have that grounding, Jeff. So, you know, I the next relationship that I was in, um, I became sexually active pretty quickly and, again, became pregnant. And um, at that time, my world just kind of swirled. I didn't know what to do, and my parents found out, and they really uh, turned up the pressure to have an abortion. But you know, I didn't. I didn't know that the young man was um, willing to stay, and we talked about getting married. And um, but my parents kept talking to me about raising two babies and how hard it would be. And so abortion began to kind of enter my mind 
Um, but I, we never really got to make that decision together uh, because uh, he would do something uh, that would just devastate our family. Uh, one night while he was watching my daughter for me, he sexually assaulted mm. and shook her to death. Mm. And so, <laughs> Jeff, we, uh, you know, I was in the hospital. I had just lost my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was, um, you know, had gone missing for several days trying to evade mm. um, the police. And so we hadn't even left the hospital after my daughter had died before we hit the parking lot and my parents were asking me, you know, Camille, what are you going to do? We think you should have an abortion. There's no way now. And so, um, four days after we buried my daughter, I did, I had an abortion and just my life began to spiral downward. Um, we use kind of that analogy in counseling, biblical counseling a lot. And, um, you know, I just, I wasn't lost, but I felt lost. And it wasn't until two or three years kind of wandering in in that feeling that the Lord um, then brought me back to himself in a um, really impactful way. He used a a godly young man that he brought into my life that uh, knew about uh, losing my daughter. I didn't think that he knew about my abortion, um, but he told me one night uh, that he had feelings for me and... I think he sensed my hesitation, and he he looked me in the eyes, and he said, Camille, I I know about your abortion, and I love you anyway. Yeah, wow. And it was just such an incredible picture of the gospel. It was like the gospel came alive again to me, you know, from that first salvation decision to really bringing me back to my true love in Christ, my first love, and... um. The Lord began to do a great work in my life. I ended up marrying um, that young man. We've been married now for about 28 years and so, and have a, three children together. But, um, you know, the, the years after, uh, after we got married were really difficult. And I think a lot of women and couples still struggle in their marriage, especially if the abortion is a secret or it's something that's not talked about, especially if the couple was aborted, um, had the abortion together. Um, and so it, it really was devastating to my marriage until the Lord um, brought me to a place of deep study okay. in the Word of God and um, just being in the Word and focusing on His truth and how that truth applies to my situation and all the emotions that go with after having an abortion, grief and guilt and um, depression and anxiety and and so many things, uh, forgiveness, unforgiveness, um, all of those things, the Lord really just did a completely transformative work in my life. And so then I just followed um, that calling to help other women and, and men who've had that experience to find hope and healing through Jesus Christ, which is the only way. So, I know in 30 years of counseling, you have you've encountered many, many women, a lot of things they share in common. What are some of the emotions that women experience after an abortion, and why are they so difficult to overcome? I would say that, you know, there's a gamut of emotions, but I would say two primary emotions that almost every woman Um, experiences in men. Men are also impacted by abortion, but uh, I would say guilt and grief. Okay. And um, when you look at guilt, you know, um, 
ever since Adam and Eve in the fall, guilt, our sin, um, runs deep. And, and when you think about taking the life of another image bearer, it runs really deep. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and, and also, you know, in our culture, it's such a hot-button topic um, on abortion, and, and people say things that they don't understand when they're speaking against abortion, and we should speak against abortion because it's sin, but they may not realize that those around them that are listening are um, have had an abortion, and they're not healed. They're, the Lord hasn't um, done that work in them yet like He did in me, and so... Um, that guilt can just really, um, it can either be kind of under the surface and low-lying, or it can come out in expressions of anger. There are a lot of people that are angry nowadays, and, uh, you know, abortion is very prevalent in our culture. So, um, and then there's grief, and I think grief is such a, a strange thing surrounding abortion because a lot of women have the wrong idea that they can't grieve the the loss of their baby, so they've never allowed themselves to grieve before the Lord um, just over the loss of life because they feel like, well, I caused that, right? and so I don't have the right um, to grieve. But, you know, we need to grieve over what God grieves over, and He grieves the loss of every, you know, life, and so should we. And so, you know, He is a God of all comfort, and we can come to Him in our grief. And then I think sometimes women have never grieved that it is sin. You know, um, especially those women that don't know the Lord, they don't have any place to run to with their conviction of guilt right. over the sin of abortion. And so, you know, they're just left um, with undealt with grief over the sin. And we know that when we turn to the Lord and we confess, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, um, there's a there's a grief of our sin that also needs to take place instead of justifying it, like um, so many of us do for for quite a long time. The book we're talking about is called Moving Forward After an Abortion. Uh, Camille, if you could say just one thing to a woman who wants to start that journey forward, what would that be? Just just to start and to trust God and. I know um, that might be very scary. Uh, I've walked with women who don't know the Lord, or maybe even some that do, but they think that He's just um, going to zap them or that He's he's eternally angry with them, and um, that's just not true. In Christ, we find uh, love and forgiveness and compassion um, for all sin, including the sin of abortion. So I would encourage her to just trust the Lord and find somebody else that you can trust um, with the secret maybe that you've been carrying for a long time and to look to God and through His Word and that you'll you'll find hope and healing there. So um, that's my encouragement is just to step out, just to, to begin the conversation with, with a trusted friend and to really look to um, the Lord to trust Him, that He's, he's there to walk you through. Do you think the fear of uh, or a misconception of who God is is one of the biggest factors that keeps women from turning to the Lord for forgiveness? I do. I think, you know, a lot of people who have an, an idea of God, um, and maybe it depends on how they grew up, what kind of uh, church background they grew up in, or what they've heard, even through, you know, movies and pop culture, you yeah. know, that God is 
just a vengeful, wrathful, angry God. And God is wrathful over sin, but he meets that wrath in Christ, and Christ absorbed all the wrath of of God for uh, the sins of those who put their trust in him. And so when you realize that God poured out his wrath on his only begotten son um, so that he, we could be reconciled to him, then there's only love yeah. that's left and, and a willingness to forgive our sins, all of our sins when we come to him. So he's such a relational God, and I think we, we miss that. You know, God gave us relationships, parent-child relationships, husband-wife friendships. Those are all um, means of his grace to us to show us that he is a relational God. He wants to have a relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. So, Yeah, that's good. And, and that's that's the good news of the gospel that, that we can really celebrate. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, this month, a lot of pastors will be speaking about abortion, and certainly there, there are a lot of different aspects of, of fighting against this evil in our country. But when we're talking about dealing with the people, the human tragedies that occur in, in the lives of women and men who are scarred, how can churches use your book as a resource to help people? I would love to encourage um, pastors and church leaders, Jeff, to consider buying multiple copies. And um, it's great. I'm blessed if they want to put it in the resource center. Um, But just know that a lot of times just having the word abortion on the cover will keep people from picking that book up who need it. So I'm really trying to encourage churches to get a copy, put it in the pew, um, put, put multiple copies in the pew for people to pick up after a church sermon and, and really speak to the, the need for those who are sitting in the pews that are wounded still by the sin of abortion. And, and it could be anybody, whether it's um, a woman that's had one, men who had no choice, mm-hmm. maybe in, in the abortion, um, grandparents who know about abortion are grieving. And so it's also a really great way just to equip the church to be prepared to give compassionate answers on this topic. And the need is there. I mean, I know I've heard of um, elders. I heard of a, an elder at a, a church, and he had an abortion in his past, and he would not go to church on Sanctity of Life Sunday because of the guilt and the shame, and he was afraid that everything would just come um, bursting out of him. And so he's, you know, he's sitting there. Sunday after Sunday, kind of wounded still in the pew. And so it's a great way to reach those that you wouldn't even think or have an abortion experience in their past that are sitting in church every Sunday. Once again, the book is called Moving Forward After Abortion by our guest, Camille Cates. It's available at christianbook.com. And I'd also mention that Camille has authored a mini-book entitled Pregnancy Crisis, This Wasn't the Plan. Uh, You can find out more about that and the book that uh, we've mentioned today, Moving Forward After Abortion, at her website, agrittygospellife.com. Love that title, agrittygospellife.com. Camille, thanks so much for sharing your story with us today, for offering hope to our listeners, and for uh, for working on this great resource that hopefully will bless many people. Thanks for sharing with us. It's my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Next week, we'll hear about the latest proposed rule that would effectively discriminate against believers wanting to become foster parents. Then we'll look at some common reasons for divorce and the best ways to benefit from marriage counseling. Then Gary Bauer of American Values explains the roots of anti-Semitism 
and gives us some practical ways we can show support for the Jewish community. You can hear today's program again as a podcast by going to afr.net slash podcasts. If you have questions or comments about anything in today's program, send your email to thestand at afa.net. And for important articles on culture, faith, and family, be sure to get your free six-month subscription to The Stand magazine by going to afa.net slash The Stand. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shambly. Thanks for being with us.